The following podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, did you think that I wouldn't pull my hair back just so I won't choke? Hey, did you think this little girl will be coming back home just so you can't own her? Oh, oh, no, you held my hand so high thinking I would die a trip and fall down. Hey, now you're on an easy seat, this table's turning. All I want you to do is crawl. You better get comfortable. Because now we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm LaJohn, and this is the Going There Podcast. So today we're going to discuss the way that religion, especially Christianity in our nation, is politicized and even weaponized. And so let's start with, I'm going to do a little uh, sensational evening news promo. Ready? Is God a Yankees fan? Are catastrophic events part of his larger plan? Is Jesus a registered Republican? These questions to be answered right now. No, no, and laughably no. Jesus did love small government. (laughs) I want to share a very quick story. Like a lot of videographers, I cut my teeth doing the filming of weddings. And I, after about 8 million of them, there's only a handful that I really remember very specifically. And one was I'm at the reception sitting at the table and, you know, we, we had enough time to take a break, eat some snacks and have a drink. And they always sit the vendors together. So I'm there with the photographer and the people who did the flowers and, and I'm having conversations. There was this one guy at the table who was just cool as hell. I'm like, man, who is this guy? He's, he's pretty awesome. We talked about the Browns. We talked about the weather. We talked about everything under the sun. Uh, I think I told a couple of dirty jokes. And then the, the bridal party showed up at the hall and I'm like, oh, I got to get back to work. I was like, by the way, who are you again? Like who, who what service are you with? And the guy was like, I'm the pastor who married them. We were at my church. Remember, I was the guy up on stage. And of course, my initial reaction was, oh, shit. Because my experience with people who were from the church and of the church, and especially a lot of the leaders, I'm like, man, they wouldn't have been cool with this. I shouldn't have been drinking or cussing. I shouldn't have told that joke. And then I'm like, wait a second. He was drinking and cussing, and he told one of those jokes. It was just one of those rare moments that as an adult, it gave me hope for humanity because- there was somebody who could be quote unquote godly or good and human all at the same time. And this person came to be my mentor, my close friend, and a huge part of who I am as an adult. So you can blame him. And he's here with us again on the phone today, Mr. Shannon Blower. Thank you so much for being here. Good night, Matt. That was, uh, that put a lump in my throat. I, I remember that evening as well. Um, and, uh, you know, interestingly, that night required, and it should not be so, but it required some level of courage to allow myself to be seen as human. And so there was a sacredness about that evening for both of us, I suspect. You, you know, just running into somebody that way and, and me allowing myself to say, no, 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 this is, this is what it means to be Shannon and also somebody who follows how he understands Christ to be. So, uh, yeah, that was a, uh, it was, it was a departure for, for both of us in some ways, I suppose. We were, um, inundating the other with our religious views, which was mine was like, I'm sick of religious people. (laughs) I did. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that that's the case. Um, can you remind your audience since it's been a few episodes, a little bit about who you are and your background? Yeah, so I have spent the the last 30 years in ministry. I used to consider myself an outsider, you know, somebody who came in from the, you know, the rough streets of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are a lot of squirrels there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in Peninsula, you better watch out, man. Not going over there during the day. <laughs> yeah, so so I considered myself kind of an outsider, but after doing this for 30 years, I don't think I'm allowed to say that anymore. Um, I have somehow been entrenched in the movement of Christianity in all of its ugliness and all of its awfulness and in all of its inspiring hopes and the dreams that somehow I'm still tethered to. So 30 years in ministry and in parish ministry and 
community ministry, and the last 12 more specifically uh, in clinical uh, in clinical work as the palliative chaplain, uh, ICU chaplain, and working with folks that have received terminal diagnosis and whose prognoses are, are dire and often weeks to months to live. And I help folks transition that last leg of their journey. I don't want to go into this episode with assumptions because much of what I want to do is shine a light on the the things that politically we come to hear from certain parties where it's like, well, the Bible says this, you know, and the Bible preaches hate only in this way. Um, but I don't want to make assumptions. And since this is about going there, let's go around the table and kind of talk about high level where we view our own spirituality and what you're willing to share. And I'll start. I was raised, actually, it's so weird because Shannon and I have a very similar background. We both went to the same high school, which is crazy because back when he went, there was like three kids and a donkey. And uh, <laughs> they were they, they were the Woodridge asses. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and so, you know, we both kind of grew up in the same area. We were both raised Catholic. And then our parents took us to other different kinds of churches. The thing all of us humans have in common is we, we've, uh, at least more people should have in common, is we've embraced growth as a human on every aspect from spirituality, uh, intelligence, and everything. Where I stand now is if somebody asks me, are you a Christian? My, my answer would still be yes. However, I don't know that I buy into the mainstream modern Christianity that America seems to portray, as in, I do believe everything that Christ said, his acts were so important. Whether or not you believe he was divine does not matter to, to me. I don't know that I believe in heaven and hell, but I don't know that I absolutely don't believe in some form of an afterlife. I just think that the minute we stop being curious about our world and our existence, and especially in science, is, I mean, ignorance should not be rewarded. It should be, it should be treated. And so I just, I'm, I'm a believer in, in fact and logic and science, but I think that logic and faith when married together, make you a very fulfilled human being because we know it's not all what we can see, but it, it can't all be what we feel only as well. So I've read a lot on Buddhism. I've read a decent amount on um, on uh, Judaism and, and on uh, Islam and, and some other religions. And the way I see it is no one's got it nailed down, but there's so many overlaps, especially in the Abrahamic faith, as we've talked about on this before. No one's got it nailed down, but if you look to the people who really kind of championed that thing, whether it's Gandhi or Jesus or Mother Teresa, man, just look at what they said and what they did. And that's kind of how I, I live my life. Be kind, turn the other cheek, love your neighbor. It's, it's pretty simple, as hard as it is to accept. And so that's me. I dig it. I dig it. I can absolutely dig it. Um, for me, it's going to sound kind of jacked up, but I believe in that voice in my head. <laughs> but And this is what I mean by that. I can sit here at this table right now and tell everybody to kiss my ass in my head. And I can scream it in my head. And you guys won't hear it, but I said what? it in my head. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And you actually did just say it. I, I did. Just wanna, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just heads up. Yeah. That was out loud. And I tried to do it in Spanish, but it, 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 it didn't. Yeah. But I can do that. And when I say I believe in that voice in my head, what I'm saying is that voice is something more beyond me. It's beyond my brain. It's beyond my mind. It's got to be something else. I believe in that something else because if you want to call it the spirit, you want to call it my soul, however you want to look at it, that's what I believe in. I got to use my uncle's words. My uncle Skip, he drives trucks. He said, uh, if you don't believe in God, go to Utah. I've never been there. He said, there's no way in the world that man could do anything like that. It's that beautiful, you know? And it is one of those things that makes you as scientific as you could explain the erosion and the building of the rocks and all of these things. It kind of makes you simultaneously believe in God. Yeah, yeah, I dig it, man. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, as far as like, you know, the book is concerned, I struggle with it sometimes because it's like, is this a word of mouth document that has been just passed on through time and the story just gets better and better and better as it goes on? Like I mentioned one time before about the, the, the game winning field goal, you know, so uh, I struggle with that at times. And, and I'm not really... I can honestly say, as I'm sitting in this chair, I, I don't have all of my answers yet in regards to how I feel. If you did, you probably wouldn't be sitting here. Let's it's, be honest. This is true. This is true. That's a good point. Well, um, 
My father was Lebanese Christian, and they they view religion kind of in a fanatical way, in like a who's your favorite soccer team? Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ole, and, ole, ole. Yeah. So, so I guess for those uh, couple years, I was Greek Orthodox, and my dad passed away when I was young. My mom is just this really smart bookworm misanthrope who was, I think, think actually raised Northern Baptist and her father left Mormonism and chose baptism. So that's that whole vibe, which I'm sure that you can kind of like pick up on. And From she... the beautiful state of Utah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was like a clashing of cultures and she was a black sheep of the family. And so when my father died, I wasn't in church, but I was really obsessed with it. But I'm pretty sure it was because the bread that we had at my Arabic Greek Orthodox church was like really good. <laughs> Uh, so we would sit instead on Sundays and like read the Bible and read religious texts and talk about it. I guess I'm Christian, but I really believe that all the religions are the same, especially growing up in a community where there was a lot of diversity. Uh, I met people of other religions and cultures and creeds. So it kind of opened up my mind and it made me kind of see that everything is basically the same. The religion, the whole foundation of religion is like, don't be an asshole. And... <laughs> I try to follow that as much as I can. <laughs> I think you're reading a different book than a lot of people these days, and uh, that kind of plays into our theme. Yeah. Shannon, you're a former pastor, and uh, you work in the hospitals as uh, essentially a pastor, so you must uh, believe the Bible verbatim. It was written by God, tablets strapped out of the sky, correct? Uh, all true. Yeah, I'm on the right team, guys. So... um one of the things that I was taking just with each each of your telling your story a little bit is each one of you describes some aspect of what it means to be spiritual. Matt, you you spoke of it as a kind of a quest. Um, this this idea of uh, I want to keep growing, I want to keep learning. There's there's this quest to it, uh, you know. And John, you, you spoke about this this trusting of this intrinsic knowing. I would lean into that when your uncle tells you to go to Utah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Noted. Noted. Um, just, just, just saying. Um, and, and, you know, and then, uh, and then Joe, when you talk about the, the structure and format of your culture, the, you know, the loyalty to it, all of these, all of these aspects are, are interwoven in what it means to be spiritual, I suppose. From my standpoint, of course, raised Catholic, had the silly notion that religion uh, would provide answers for me. And and it, it couldn't, right? It couldn't because it could not answer the questions that I was asking. And so spirituality to me uh, at this point where I'm at in my journey, 60, 60 plus years old. Um, no, the hell the you quest- say. Uh, that's right. That's right. I didn't. I didn't assume you were in your sixties. You sound like you're fifty nine. <laughs> oh, God bless you all, man. <laughs> I, I have the voice of a fifty nine year old. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jesus, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So for me, uh, spirituality uh, really speaks to the notion of uh, the quest for meaning. It is the quest for what ought I to do with my life? What does it mean to be human? My journey has moved from seeking answers uh, to uh, asking better questions. Are you finding those answers to those questions? Oh, good grief, no. <laughs> but, but when the question is posed in a fashion that is without the judgment of knowing or not knowing, uh, you you continue to peel back the onion, or you continue to go move forward on the journey, so that there's there's a sense of always moving towards and the joy of the chase, without the arrogance of obtaining and knowing. That's a that's a big ask in today's culture, because especially with the advent of technology and the fanaticism that we see in politics, everyone has the answer. Man, I, I've never met so many scientists and doctors in my life on Facebook. It might not be exclusive to America, but I'm, I want to talk about this from an American standpoint. 
evangelicals, you'll often hear them say, we're a Christian nation. Yeah. And and obviously there, there's a lot of issues with that statement because we're supposed to be freedom of religion, meaning nobody can take over and say, yeah, we're now, we're not that we're Catholic or now we're Jewish or now we're Scientologists. So saying we're a Christian nation is is problematic from a political standpoint, but it's also historically not true. A lot of our founding fathers were Christian and some of them evangelicals. They were Lutherans, Presbyterians. They were they were your your buddies over in Utah. I'm just kidding. They weren't there yet. But weren't they um, <laughs> actually like just like too prudish in England? They were like, this dude's getting a divorce and we don't agree. Let's yeah. go they, yeah, exactly. to the wilderness. They were fleeing religious persecution. That was like one of the main reasons is people were tired of being told you have to believe this. But a good handful of the founding fathers were actually deists. And those are Correct. those are one small step up from agnostic. Uh, agnostic, uh, in a nutshell says, I don't know if there is a God, but I'm willing to agree with the deist essentially says, I believe there is a God, but whatever it might be, they're just saying there is a supreme being. And the big difference between that and the evangelicals is that they acknowledge that it's a supreme being who does not intervene in the universe, as opposed to people who pray and say, God anoints the president and we're going to pray away this disaster. And if it happens, it was meant to be. I don't think it comes from a bad or an evil place, but it comes from a belief in something that defies the human existence and that can lead to very, very scary things. Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, So here's the dilemma. We imagine situated and located in time um, and geography that somehow we can speak to the universe that we are part of, that we live in. And it just simply is the height of arrogance. Now, every now and then we get something right. My, uh, my son, whom I love dearly, has informed my way of being so much. Um, he's a philosophy of language uh, professor at Akron University. Uh, he is also an avowed atheist. And him and I speak, and he, he spoke to me a little bit uh, one time talking about uh, the, the most difficult things to dissuade people from are experiences or truths that are randomly reinforced. And so prayer or belief in these kinds of things are always randomly reinforced. That, that's, going to, that's how it happens. So it, it has to do with attribution. It's the human condition to attribute um to to phenomenon that are beyond our scope um a sort of knowing and assigning a a certainty to it that that really is beyond our ken now look if we're saying um uh we prayed and so god is a browns fan i'm all for that he better be um Oh, That's the only but, truth uh, there actually, is. Actually, if there is evidence of any science, God is not a Browns man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a sort of blasphemy that occurs whenever we take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, where we assign God's name and power to things of human agenda. And, and that is something that we have seen in our country for a very long time. I, I would also like to say that whatever evangelical is, that we're viewing today in our culture, it has never been seen before. It is so wedded with political corruption and power. Nothing about it resembles Christianity. It uh, not, not in this country, because a lot of people don't understand what the separation of church and state is and wh- where it actually comes from, that it's not in the Constitution. It was a, it was a letter from uh, Thomas Jefferson to, to the Baptist Church saying, we go into these scary territories when we start to marry our government and, and our church. Anytime there was a church in this country, historically, for the most part, you know, on a major level— it's been anti-establishment because it's like, we're going to do this regardless of what the government says. But this is a, right. here's what God is saying. And God chose America. Uh, we're the chosen people. This is the chosen land. And that's the paradox that I... Uh, what about manifest destiny, though? That's the whole reason that yeah. settlers were like, oh, we can take your land because God said well, we could. Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Joe, you're speaking to this notion of manifest destiny. And it is the classical mistake whenever a political group imagines that the church is the same as the state or the same as the government. 
And so, you know, the nation of Israel, that was a, a nation. It was a political state. It was something different than the church. Uh, the church does not have territory. Everything about where things are now are, are, are a little upside down. On all of the great American holidays, Memorial Day or Fourth of July, whatever they were, where there was the big God and country theme, I would always use it as an opportunity to preach against America and to use it as an opportunity to say that America is not the church and that the wedding of church and state is the demise of any form of Christianity uh, that could be resembled. It's like, you know, when you guys are talking about politics, not that voting isn't important, all these things, but we try to marry democracy and, and capitalism and all these things. And the very fact the the core of Christianity is that Jesus was counterculture. He was hated by the church and the state. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That poor guy, he couldn't find footing anywhere. <laughs> I guess my question to all of this though is, is all right, so we're gonna we're gonna pretend just for a moment that there's some sort of synchronicity, even just with this phone call, even just with us in this little group, where we would say, man, we ha- we have to do good. If if we're using Christ as the sort of uh template, whatever it is we might be using we ought to do good in this world. I think the dilemma is, how is it that we do good? How How is it that each of you and myself decide to do good, to be compassionate in a world in which there is uh, such distortion? And uh, how, how is it that you manage that? You hit rock bottom. <laughs> you realize, oh, um, this lifestyle that I'm living isn't working. I need to change something. Sure. And and I think if you ask 100 strangers, hey, do you enjoy being treated like shit? The answer is going to be no 100 times. Right. I, I feel pretty confident right. about that. You know, maybe it's situation mm-hmm. circumstantial where they, well, I actually don't mind being treated like shit when it comes down to this. Yeah. That's but, <laughs> that's um that's a special category on that website that you visit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're running into a hundred S and M fans because of where you're hanging out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so so <laughs> y'all are ridiculous. But but so so it's like that's what it comes down to. Wait a minute, you don't want to be treated like shit. So therefore, why are you doing it to anybody else in any kind of regard? How do people define that is the problem? Yeah. And, 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 you know, Matt, I think that just speaks again to this notion of we imagine that all of us are reading whatever sacred text we have and that it is coming to us unfiltered from our own perceptions. You know, the, the scriptures really, uh, if you're a racist, you're going to find it in there. If you're a homophobe, you're going to find it in there. If, if you are violent, you're going to find it in there. If you're peaceful, you're going to find it in there. If you're compassionate, you're going to find it in there. So the the disposition that you possess prior to reading the scriptures predetermines what you're going to see and, and draw out of it. And, and so there's a dilemma there in terms of how it is that we are engaging things that oppose our previously held biases. You, Matt, you and I have talked about this before, that if accepting Christ or embracing the gospel makes you a bigger asshole than you were before you got saved. There's something the matter with that theology, right? Yeah. That is like my new favorite line. I'm going to make a t-shirt. It's so hard because I think people who've already made up their mind and decided they know what the, what the Bible is, they're not going to listen to us anyway, but maybe there's a few fence setters who might go, hold on, hold on. There's some truth in what you're saying. Can we, can we just for a moment, a brief moment, talk about why it's so dangerous to translate the Bible, not only to a political stance or an agenda, but also verbatim? Because as you mentioned, the Bible says all kinds of things that could be taken a certain way is essentially that slavery is okay. You're allowed to beat your wife and your children that, you know, murder is acceptable when it's done in a certain way. And that all of these things are like, okay, yet, yet, if that's what you're taking away from Christianity, how do you not see that hypocrisy? So can we talk for a moment about the fact that the Bible has books taken out of it? There was the book of Judas that historians found. There's a book of Mary. There's a book and of ancient aliens would probably tell you that ancient there's also a lot of books taken out of it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's the book of <laughs> yeah. from, from another planet. And, They're pissed and, off the most. Yeah. yeah. And that translating these ancient texts from dead languages to English, that not everything translates the same. And on top of that, 
It's like Homer in the Iliad. These were lore. It's not like they had the printing press <laughs> going on back in uh, uh, Nazareth. I mean, this is just what it is. And so if you if you can't acknowledge somebody's theological standpoint, why? I mean, can you at least acknowledge a little bit of the historical standpoint? I mean, can we talk just a, like I said, just a brief moment about that? Sure. One of the things that speaks to this idea of uh, bibliolatry, you know, the idolatry of scripture. The apostle Paul himself says in Galatians, I wish that I were with you, that I could speak with you and be present to you, that you might know my feelings and how it is, how strongly I feel. Because as all of us recognize, the power of presence is more powerful than text or Twitter or anything else. There's a sense about it where even in the scriptures themselves, they seem to minimize the written text over personal experience and being present to something. So when we look at the scriptures, all of it is not written equally. For instance, there are certain genres in scripture. Like I I would not go to the scriptures as the, the way I would go to a small engine repair kit. The, the, the small engine repair kit is going to tell me exactly what to do, where to put this, where to put that. Scriptures, not so much. That's not how they're laid out. You know, there's poetry there's in, in the scripture. There's, there's a legalese in the scripture. There's myth in the scripture. There's apocalyptic writing in the scripture. There's prophecy in the scripture. The book is a collection of all different types of genre of writing. You and I would not listen to a Bob Dylan, uh, Shelter in a Time of Storm, and expect to be able to explicitly know what to do. It is the power of metaphor because things that are explicit never do justice to the nuance of the human experience. It is more than explicit. Bob Dylan was saying to hate the Jews and and black people and abortion's bad. I clearly missed that part. Yeah. (laughs) So at, at the core of it, in my silly opinion, humanity is just genuinely scared. And they imagine that the antidote to fear is knowledge, and it isn't. The antidote to fear is trust. The antidote to fear is love. And it is difficult to quantify those things, but when you are in in the midst of it or in experiencing it, you know it. It, It's just what you're talking about. There's there's a certain kind of trusting of that inner voice. There's There's this sense of, Oh, yeah, 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 I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this vibe. And it's more powerful than the letter of the law, as the Apostle Paul would would reference in other places, right? Romans 13.1 clearly states, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. I mean, how can you translate that otherwise? Listen to your president. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, except for when you remember that the Apostle Paul wrote those words while in prison for civil disobedience. Wow. Really fronting, just like everyone who posts on Facebook about how good their life is. Yeah. It's all not real. (laughs) I'm doing it up in this sale, baby. Paul's just showing the rosy side of things. (laughs) What he's getting at is this notion of, look, we're not trying to be anarchists, generally speaking. We want to be, uh, we want to lead quiet and peaceable lives. Generally speaking, that's the case. We're not anarchists. Christianity is a way of being, of loving one another, of caring for one another. When, you know, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he, I, I think he meant it, right? So subsequently, there's a spirituality to this. There's the inhabitation of the spirit of love that infuses and gives life to uh, to a society. It, it, so Christianity can really thrive in any form of government. It, it truly can. So there are a lot of people who consider themselves devout Christians. Evangelicals is a sect that we talk about. There's a huge conflict in the Bible between interpreting it as like literal and factual versus historical, metaphorical, parable. It seems like you view it more as 
metaphorical and parable. God created the earth in exactly seven days. And if you say otherwise, I'm going to smack you because I'm a man and you're a woman and you have to submit. I have never felt more unproductive in my life. Wait, wait, wait. You you didn't (laughs) smack her already just because she was a woman? Yeah. Hey, who said you could talk? Exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like what happened in religion that um, it was encouraged to see things like the Bible is literal and factual and you cannot question it versus this is metaphorical and there's parables and there are bigger life lessons that we're here to teach you about. What the heck happened? Well, again, I I think it is has to do with folks, whatever need they have when they approach the text is manifested in how they address the text. So... Um, if I am someone who is looking for certainty, if I need this sense of this is it, finally, finally the silver bullet, finally a theory for everything, it is that delusional quest that I think manifests itself in the way in the ways you're talking about. Um, having said that, I I am a student of the scripture. I, I love the scriptures. I love all sacred texts. Uh, I love all religious texts. Some texts I deem sacred some i don't dean Koontz novels <laughs> <laughs> so all right so i'm going to speak to that just for a second sacred is that which i determine meaningful for instance to the christian is the quran meaningful to them no to the christian is the writings of buddhism or confucianism or tao is it is it meaningful to them no they assign meaning to the christian text or the hebrew text so I'm working with a physician who is so dear to me. And as we're talking about that, which is sacred is that which I say, this adds meaning to my life. And this individual, him and I were talking about this. And he said, well, I got to tell you that some of the things that have impacted me the most has been uh, some of the Batman series. There's There's been some things that have just really impacted some of the choices I made. I said, so let's look into those texts and find out that which is sacred about those texts to you. It has to do with, again, assigning meaning or saying this is sacred. Uh, my father smoked a pipe his whole life, right? Cherry tobacco. Man, I love it. Every now and then I'll pull out a, a pipe that my dad smoked. I'll stuff with cherry tobacco. I'll hack on it a little bit, mostly just trying to get the room to smell that away. And, <laughs> and I'll say, this is sacred. It reminds me of something beautiful. So the text of the scripture is meant to show us who we are, not who it is. It's like a mirror. So these Batman texts for him is letting me see who he is. I would encourage anybody to look and inquire and say, what is sacred about that to you? How then does somebody go from that to the Crusades or the Salem Witch Trials or the Westboro Baptist Church or the Branch Davidians? How does somebody... And how does it get a following? Beats the hell out of me, man. That is above my pay grade. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. <laughs> okay, okay. I tell you what, this is actually a perfect time for a musical break right here. The sounds that you are listening to on this episode is the sounds from the awesome band Kiss Me Deadly, an indie pop rock band with Jen Poland as the lead singer, songwriter, mandolinist, and Evan Lieberman on bass. Their latest incarnation includes Matt King on saxophone and keyboards, Eric Noletti on the drums. The album released on Kingswood Records in 2015 featured Madeline Hayes on the drums and vocals, and one of her songs is Crawl, and I think you may have a chance to hear that. Enjoy Kiss Me Deadly, crazy awesome indie pop band. I've actually seen them live, really enjoyed them. I know you will too. Not at a glance But when you approach her She says there ain't no chance And she says
Rick Perry, who was the energy secretary, says, God chose Trump and the modern evangelical Christian church ate it up. How do we get to that place? I, I, um, I, I would say it's the desire. It's the yearning for humanity to know where we come from and where we're going and the grasping at at, at this sense of now I know. The, the problem is, and it is what's awesome about the scriptures, it's really lovely about them, is because they both reveal and conceal. So in some ways, what is being concealed from them is a deeper truth. What is being revealed to others is uh, the modern evangelicals desire to have a king. Well, there's a whole story in the Old Testament about when when Jerusalem demanded a king. And God said, you, you don't want a king, as the story goes. You, you want to each of you rely on the relationship with that which is supernatural. You want to rely on that. You don't need a king. You need, you need something different. Well, they got a king. And that king uh, directed them in ways that uh, the prophet Samuel said, when you get a king, this king will take your lands, will take your daughters, he'll take your wives. This king will lay a tax on you. It, it, every single thing about it. But they wanted a king. They wanted to feel bona fide. Christianity has grown up in America of capitalism as this sort of um, other than sort of thing, right? And so when we finally got our power with the uh, moral majority and Reagan and all that, we were like, man, this is hard to let go of. It's hard to let go of this power. It was never meant for us. It's like when you shouldn't be in a relationship, but you just want to be in a relationship. And then the next person you meet, you date them and you're like, this person isn't good for me, but I'm with them. And that's what I wanted. And all your friends are like, no, girl, you need to do you. Read some Sisterhood of Traveling Pants. Read those Batman comics. Read those Batman <laughs> comics, girl. So, Joe, I feel like there's a lot of projection going on here. So I don't want to. I don't, wanna go <laughs> I don't know about that. This. That has nothing to do with me. I've just heard a lot of that <laughs> right, in a lot right. of books. I have I've a read. friend. I have a friend. Let's call her Joe Salin. <laughs> and... yeah, yeah. Asking for a friend. No, listen, man, humanity, we're, we're screwed up. We're screwed up, man. We're, we're screwy. Like some would use the text of Scripture to say, oh, we're sinners, we're evil, we're wicked, right? I, okay, whatever. I mean, what the notion of sin is really less uh, malicious and more like what happens when you're isolated? What happens when you're separated from real genuine connection with people? Like what goes on when I am separated because of shame or separated from some sort of, of guilt or hiddenness? The sin aspect is why so many people hate and have judgment because they think they're doing right because other people are doing evil. And it's the mysticism behind it. Uh, you were getting at it. And I just want to make sure it's pointed out that this is what we're getting to the core of is what is sin? What is sin really? In the story uh, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, it says uh, that when you eat of the fruit, whatever that might be, that on that day you'll surely die. And, and of course, they didn't stop existing and they didn't fall over dead. But what did happen is they were separated from whatever God might have been. There is a separation that occurred. Sin always is a kind of separation. I become separated from humanity. I become separated from the source of life and love. And in some odd way, I even become separated from my own self. So that like John says, I can't trust that voice or that, that truth in me. I, I distrust this. And the isolation of that creates all forms of maladaptive uh, behaviors. So in truth, I'm very much like all of humanity, very much like them. You know what fear feels like to the Muslim? Fear. You know what it feels like to the uh, LBGTQ? Fear. Is, is there a difference between violation of, a, of an American woman or an Israeli woman or an Arabic woman or an African woman? Is there a difference? No, violation feels like violation. And so on some very primitive level, the notion that somehow we can separate from one another, and it's been termed othering the other. This is the uncomfortable uh, result for my own notion of what to do 
with this radical right. Because in some ways, I'm still very much like them. And it's from that humility that I can approach them and say, look, you're afraid of something. So am I. You're frustrated about something. So am I. How is it that I can meet you on a very core and fundamental way? So sin, at the first thing it does is separates us from the pack, from ourselves and from God. So sin is not a crime to be punished. Sin is a wound to be healed. How do I heal? I say to you, I, uh, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I, I, uh, I don't know what to do. The healing of the breach occurs, again, where I rely on the scriptures, through Christ, Christ's own vulnerability, where Christ said, in my weaknesses have you been made whole. It is through the vulnerability and openness and saying, this is who I am. It's very scary to be vulnerable. Yes, it is. You don't know if it's going to be reciprocated. Yeah. Well, and, and as we're talking about American culture, the term vulnerability is actually linked with weakness. Oh, goodness, yes. And in truth, it it is releasing the Kraken, as it were. Yeah, did you just quote Corinthians? <laughs> it was Clash of the Corinthians. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can, can we go back to something real quick here? You guys made a point about Trump and him being God sent. He was, obviously. It's in the gospel. <laughs> hey, why not? And here's what I mean by that. Here's where I'm getting at. Why do we always have to think that if something is God sent, it had to be good? You don't think God sends evil to create the good for the future? It's happened many times. And not to say, wait a minute, not to say that I'm sitting here in this chair saying that Trump is evil. I don't think he's all good. And I can't confirm that he's all evil. I don't know the man. Just on the surface of what we all see. You have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Joe just loaded up a gun, so that's fair. Um, I just want to share my thoughts on that. Yeah. And the way I view it is kind of similar to the deist that I don't think God intervenes in such huge ways because then there could not be free will and then there could not be the human existence as we know it. I think that God's not a genie. You don't rub the lamp and go, hey, I need I need a million dollars and God delivers it. I think you pray and prayer has its place and I think prayer works, but it works on a personal level as everything we've talked about. There's that curiosity and openness going, God, give me the strength to do this or tell me what it is that I need to see from this. I feel that the problem with mainstream evangelical kind of mindsets is that God is this thing that belongs to certain groups of people who buy into a certain way of thinking, as opposed to God is this personal relationship. And it's different. We all described it. All, all four of us described it as something different. And where God intervenes is on a very personal level, because that is what spirituality and faith are. They're this personal relationship. God didn't put Hitler in place for better or worse. God didn't put Donald Trump into place. And if they think that he did, then he also put Joe Biden into place. So, exactly. Well, but yeah, there is energy and, and your thoughts are things and everything that you put out there, it's like throwing a rock into the water and you see the ripples, you know? Like God is the rock or the water or the ripples God, or the guy throwing it God's or the, the person watching it in the boat. Everyone. God's <laughs> everyone. And Jesus is right there, too. But you can't see his footprints. You mentioned free will. Yes. And the people chose. The majority or whatever, how you want to look at it, the people chose. But why do they want to take away the free will from others in the name of Jesus is what I'm getting at. Or yeah, if it's that's, that. That's fear and that's lack of what they think they have resources. <laughs> right, <laughs> they exactly. don't think they have enough resources, so they have to hoard it. It's Lord of the Flies. Right, right. But they, they chose. And what's wrong with the mindset of saying, of God saying, uh, hey, this is what you chose. Okay, here's what you got. No, I think it's great. The, the problem I have is when they step over that line and go, I chose this, so now you choose this too. Like right. it or not. Yeah, right. it's like if they believe that everything is God's will, then that's fine. You can subscribe to that belief. But if you cherry pick what's God's will and what's sinner's will. <laughs> yeah, it's a cherry picking festival when it comes to modern Christianity. And I say that as somebody who's done it myself. I, I've chosen what I want to believe and what I don't. But 
in 2020, as I'm sitting here and as horrible things in my life are happening, I'm going, where is God in all this? Why isn't God stepping in? And then, you know, what brought me to, I don't want to say a moment of peace, but I guess a little bit of, of perspective is I thought about somebody sitting in Auschwitz during World War II and praying to God, where the hell are you right now? We could really use some of that intervention. And if God's not going to act like that because that's not how God works, who the hell am I to sit here and feel bad for myself? Who the hell am I to question God's intentions? I, I think we put too much on God and we put him in buckets that work for us. And it's dangerous when it's done on a larger scale. I, I think the Jews were onto something whenever they refused to even say the name of God, uh, spell it, do that sort of thing. There was this notion behind that ancient tradition that once you named something, you could control it. Now, it's I don't know if it's true or not, but it was a sort of mythos about it, that if you could name it, uh, you could control it. When Jesus would cast out a demon, he would say, what's your name? And then... Uh, you know, you would control the Beyonce, call me my name. I don't know. <laughs> That's why no one said Lord Voldemort's name. That's next level shit right there. <laughs> so what, what I'm Say getting, my name. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, is this. It is interesting to me how humanity both projects and personifies God from their own image. When we create God in our own image, that's a little bit about what's going on. There's a There's a certainty about that. I know God would do this. I, my God would never let this happen. Oh, I know God would do this. There's a, there's a kind of arrogance about that. You know, John, when you talk about, you know, well, maybe God did bring Trump there. I, I would say humanity certainly manifested a Donald Trump and humanity manifested many, many things. So this idea of what is God is, is always in development. God is always under a reconstruction program based upon the civilization of mankind. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, I mean, Jesus is the greatest PR program ever on who God is. God is kind of an asshole in the Old Testament, and Jesus cleans it up. There, there's a, <laughs> it, what, what happens is as humanity develops and develops with kindness and graciousness, all of a sudden God starts to develop that away too. And there are these historical personas that provide opportunity for humanity to evolve, to grow, to, for something more to happen. I certainly think Jesus is that for me. When we talk about this, we get chasing our tails because we forget uh, that the very argument is framed within a context that says something above and something below, something outside of me versus something within me. And that way of framing this conversation always puts us in these awkward spots. Uh, Jesus said, uh, do not the scriptures say that you are gods? <laughs> <laughs> um, Shannon, when you are in nature or when you look at the stars, do you feel any more connected to God or spirituality? I, I feel an awe. The psalmist said, when I look to the stars and I consider man, I wonder who art man that thou art mindful of him. David looked on a hill and looked at the stars and said, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that quote. <laughs> and, I, and I think that when the Hubble telescope did that, I think humanity is always saying, what the fuck? This is way bigger than us. And it requires some intellectual humility requires just a sense of, whoa, man, I am not the center of anything. There's, there's the awe. I, I was talking with a, a dear friend of mine who's a psychologist and who is a, an atheist as well. I love atheists. Uh, they challenge me in ways that no Christian ever could. I feel like atheists read the Bible more than Christians do. Maybe. Or they've yeah. read most religious texts more than Christians do. <laughs> it, it wouldn't, it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me, right? But we were talking about a particular case together, and I was saying to him, you know, uh, this woman had lamented something. Uh, you know, I did all I was supposed to do, and still this terrible atrocity happened to me, and I lost this and lost that, and why would God do this to me, you know? And she was lamenting all of that. And, and I, like whomever of us said earlier, that ah, maybe God didn't do that, maybe it just happens, I don't know. 
Um, but of course, I was, I was being quiet and just listening. And as I was recounting this story, my friend looked at me and said, well, listen, if God doesn't answer prayers the way you want him to, if God isn't showing up in all the ways that you imagine to, if Christians and atheists die the same, why in the freak would anybody want to believe in God or these gospels or Jesus or any of it? And my answer, I don't have an apologetic because there is no apologetic. My answer simply was this. Oh, damn, good question. And as I looked inwardly, I said, because it's beautiful. There's something lovely about the way Jesus treated folks in the midst of all that uncertainty. And I thought, oh, that's 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 poetry. That's beautiful. However long I got, I'd like to do that. But the atheist friend of yours and, and even your son are probably doomed to hell because John 14, <laughs> 6 says, <laughs> I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How? Do you come to terms with that? Because evangelicals cannot accept it for anything other than if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, sorry, you cannot be redeemed. Yeah, I, I know. And you know something, man, I my heart goes out to that disposition because have you ever landed on something that was like, oh, there's the answer, only to find out it wasn't the answer? And then it's like, oh, shit, I got to undo all this again. And it's uncomfortable and you don't want to. Every five-year plan of mine. Yeah, It's, it's, <laughs> usually, a, it's usually a woman for me that yeah. I land on. And I say, you know what, that, yeah. that wasn't the answer. So for LeJohn, it's three times a day. Three times a day. <laughs> so the, the reductionist answer is, you better get right with Jesus. But you know what happened is somebody else framed that argument. No person, no 20-year-old who never was in church or anywhere would stumble across that and go, oh, it must mean I must say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart and save me. Now I know I'm going to heaven and I can do anything I want after this because I am solid because me and Jesus are good. <laughs> Nobody. Even if you want to say that that, that has meaning, and, and I think it does, it does to me personally, but Jesus as a person and Jesus as an idea, as in the acts that he did, is what's important, that I am the light in the way, to me, never, ever meant you have to have a picture of Jesus on your wall who looks like Jim Caviezel, and he goes, well, he was white, and he did this, and he said this, and he hates you if you're not this. He said, turn the other cheek, be kind, love your neighbor, all of these things we've talked about. And to me, it's like, yeah, you're right. That is the way to redemption, and redemption looks like you don't have to wait till the afterlife. I would say it this way. Jesus was pretty clear about who he was and what he came to do. It seemed like that. The narratives, the stories say that. My job is not to be Jesus. My job is to be Shannon. And if I can just be Shannon in the world in which I live, then Jesus is my prototype. Not that I got to be Jesus, but he reminds me that I got to be me. Whatever light and love and kindness and whatever it is I'm supposed to do in this world, I, it's my responsibility to go ahead and, and, and respond to the call of that. Jesus responded to his call. I'm going to respond to my call. So in that way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way in which uh, Viktor Frankl speaks and says that life does not come prepackaged with meaning, but rather each of us must answer the call, and we assign meaning to those events that are occurring to us. And I, I get to respond. I get to respond. I don't control what's going on around me, but I, I get to respond. Jesus reminds me that I am called to respond. Like uh, King David said to Saul, when Saul tried to put his armor on him, King David said, that armor doesn't fit. I, I, I've got to go with what fits well with me. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's the power of story and myth and the power of the Gospels, man. As a person growing up, in a lot of very charismatic religious settings, I carried with me and still deep in my subconscious carry with me guilt and the the inner fight between am I a good person for what I truly believe in my heart as a good person and am I living up to these values? What do you say to the people who have that guilt, that everlasting guilt that they carry with them to the last day on this earth about all of the things that they believe are sinful and wrong. What, how, how do we come to terms with that? Um, I'll, I'll use 
the common scripture for for at least you and I, Matt. Um, when Jesus was speaking to the woman about to be stoned for adultery, which has intrinsic all the hypocrisies, right? The, the dude wasn't there, just the woman, right? Jesus said to her, "Has any man condemned thee?" Or, or you know, who has condemned? You know, uh, who has condemned me? She said, "You know, no one." Jesus says, "Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more." So there is a looking backwards all the time in our lives of condemnation. I shoulda, coulda, woulda. The message of Christ is uh, show kindness to your former self. And in this moment, decide whom we want to be. And that's the message of go and sin no more. When I am separated, not, not seeing sin as act, but seeing sin as separation, you know, my wife and I just had a, a, a lovely argument, deep, deep, deep fight and healing because both of us were being separated from ourselves and from our experiences in such a fashion that we that we became separated from each other. When we healed the breach in ourselves, when we said, oh, I see what's happening here. I, I, this is not who I want to be. This is not who I want to be. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind our press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So what that might mean to us is I can do nothing about my past except show kindness and mercy and forgiveness to it. And I can do nothing about the present except decide what I'm going to do. It is a struggle because Christianity condemns us always. But that's the message of the gospel. message of the gospel is, oh, no, no, no. Whatever moment was just a minute ago is done. That is not to imply that nothing I did mattered. It is to imply whom do I want to be in this moment? Who do I want to be now? That tees up my final thought very well. And it's the last thing I'm going to say on it. The people who I've met who are amazing Christians, being the core of Christianity, being good people, being kind people, living in the spirit of what Christ stood for, as opposed to the politics of what people say Christ stood for, are the ones who never told me from the beginning that they were Christians. The ones who wear it on their sleeves and make sure they work it into your first conversation are the ones that scare the hell out of me. And I'll tell you, when I first met Shannon at that wedding, I said, you know, this is a good dude. It was only until he told me he was a Christian that I was scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the truth, bro. Talk about implicit bias, right? <laughs> This is awesome stuff, man. I'm uh, I'm just grateful, Shannon, that you took the time to 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 lay it on us, man, to lay it on us without being afraid to just be genuine and real. That's what I love so much when you can uh, combine being real and genuine with religion and this kind of conversation and stuff. That that's 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 the best. Thanks, bro. Um, I I think there's something about uh, going there for each of us that uh, displays courage, vulnerability, and all of that stuff, man. Uh, we have to go there to be healed. Yes, indeed. It's three times you said it, man. I mean, damn. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, man. Oh, really hey, we made it. No, we, we didn't did it. <laughs> we, we, we just recorded a new promo right there. <laughs> Religion is tricky. It, it does feel like it's like what football team do you subscribe to? Um, it feels very tribal, but. We're all the same. We're all going to go to the same place when we die, and we don't know where that is. Before we can forgive one another, we have to try to understand one another. So I think that that's, that's probably our goal on this plane before we move to the next. Yeah, and you know something, Joe? I think when you said, and we don't know where that is, there's, there's some anxiety about that for all of us. Oh, Yeah. Me. Not enough Xanax can help. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe doesn't know where she's going this evening, so that's the crazy. <laughs> True, but I'm directionally challenged. <laughs> Thank goodness for Google Maps. But I'm but I'm telling you, there's something about like the moment I allow myself to identify with that not statement but feeling, because you you combined mind with heart. The moment I allowed that to happen, I said, "We are the same, aren't we?" If it is possible to have as good a time on the phone as one might have in person, I have had it tonight. So thank all of you guys. You're marvelous hosts. 
talented, talented people. And I feel very privileged and honored to be able to hang out with such cool folks. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. That's the only part that's going to be in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) To those of you who listened, let us know what you thought. You can love us. You can hate us. Leave us a review. Give us a rating and subscribe. And don't forget to share with a friend. Also want to thank the musical guest for this episode, Kiss Me Deadly. Find them at at Facebook, Kiss Me Deadly, the band. At Twitter, Kiss Me underscore Deadly. At Instagram, Kiss Me underscore Deadly. I saw a drone buzzing down my street. I went outside. I looked inside my keys. I broke back in. It called police. I got jailed up and I can't get released. just went there now you can go to instagram at the going there podcast facebook at going there podcast or email us at going there podcast at gmail.com this podcast is made possible by its hosts and frame one media in association with Lindsay baker tyler kubisti michael madgar joe Kelly, and bobby thomas 